You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Immediately following the attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, Robert Patterson, my granddad, signed up for the draft in Flores, Oklahoma. However, it wasn't until the spring of 1943 that he was actually fully inducted into the Army. He was assigned to the 351st Bomb Group of the Army Air Corps in Salt Lake City, Utah. There he trained as a waste gunner for the B-17 Bombers, also known as Flying Fortresses. After training was completed, his crew received their orders to join the Allies in the European theater, and they were based in Dis, England. Granddad and his crew participated in the D-Day invasion uh, through the bombing campaigns beforehand on June 6, 1944. He remembers seeing the ocean below the plane and uh, seeing the thousands and thousands of ships seem to be sailing so close together that it looked like you could just literally walk across the ocean on them. On April 10, 1945, his plane came under fire. The wing caught fire, and so the crewmates kicked the door open to jump, but the damaged plane caused them to be thrown out. Five of the ten crew escaped, including my granddad, but the other five crew members perished. Even though his parachute opened, he sustained ligament damage to his ankles when he landed. He was unable to walk, and he found himself stranded behind enemy lines in Germany. He recounted years later how he had crawled 20 miles on his hands and knees playing hide-and-seek with the Germans. Finally, a German civilian pumped some water for him, pointed down the hill toward a village where there were white squares painted on the roof's building, and on the roof's buildings, and someone who had just recently painted over the swastikas on these roofs, and they were now aid stations for allied wounded. See, Grandad had flown in 23 missions before his bomber was shot down. Fortunately, some Russian soldiers and a French officer came to his aid and carried him the rest of the way. From there, an ambulance took him to a hospital, and while riding in the back of the ambulance, he saw the ruins of many of the areas that he and his crew had participated in bombing runs and said that he found that experience unbelievable, the destruction. He returned to England on a troop plane and then to the U.S. Two of his surviving crewmates visited him at the hospital in the U.S. and later on he was even able to reunite with the other two surviving crew members. You see, they were captured behind enemy lines and they were, they were POWs until the end of the war. And to Grandad, the two crew members that were POWs, their stories made his own harrowing journey, journey seem like nothing. Granddad never wanted to be considered a hero for the time he served. Despite experiencing the loss of five of his crewmates, his injuries, and crawling 20 miles behind enemy lines. He would do it all again, he said. He said it seemed like we had more to gain in that war. He returned to Salem Springs, Arkansas after the war and after healing, where he'd lived since he was nine years old. And like many in his generation, he made a living with his ability to 
be a jack of all trades, so to speak, from carpentry to plumbing, electrical wiring, all while running a small farm on the side. At this time, I'd like to recognize the veterans that are here with us today, as well as their families. You see, you're not just a veteran alone in and of yourself. The families go through it with you. And so if you have served in one of our military branches, maybe currently serving, or you're a close family member of somebody who has or did serve, would you mind to stand? Thank you. Thank you. I've asked Kurt Thompson, as you can see, he was standing a second ago. Come on up, buddy. Um, and making his exercise first. I asked him if he would say a prayer for each veteran and their families that are here today and represented maybe that aren't here today. Um, I just thought that would be far more appropriate from somebody who served as well and a godly man. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for mentioning our spouses because they really put up with the, the dirty stuff. They have dealt with the children, the bills, the stresses, being far from home, halfway across the world. So uh, please, when you pray for your veterans, when you pray for soldiers, don't forget their families because uh, they put up the hard stuff. We just have to do what we're told. Um, this little Bible was a Bible I was um, picked up right before I got onto an airplane going to Iraq. Um, it was at Fort Dix, New Jersey, and I, I, I there's a whole stack of them. I picked it up and. Uh, there was another, some other books that were laid out there, and I, I picked up a book called Psalm 91. Um, if you guys have uh, ever spent some time reading Psalm 91, it's, it's known as the warrior's prayer. But we are all in a combat. We are all under attack every day of our life whether it be through finances or the loss of a loved one or a vehicle breaking down, our, our children behaving poorly, our parents behaving poorly. We are all under attack. And I know the Veterans Day thing is, is for our armed soldiers, but I want you to know, Psalm 91 is for everyone, not just the combat warriors. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read Psalm 91. Whoever goes to the Lord for safety, whoever remains under the protection of the Almighty, can say to him, you are my defender and my protector. You are my God and you I trust. He will keep you safe from all hidden dangers 
and from all deadly diseases. He will cover you with his wings. You will be safe in his care. His faithfulness will protect you and defend you. You need not fear any dangers at night or sudden attacks during the day. Or is the plagues that strike in the dark or the evil that kill in the daylight. A thousand may fall dead beside you, 10,000 all around you, but you will not be harmed. You will look and see how the wicked are punished. You have made the Lord your defender, the most high your protector. And so no disaster will strike you, no violence will come near your home. God will put his angels in charge of you to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you in their hands and will keep you from hurting your feet on the stones. You will trample down lions and snakes, fierce lions and poisonous snakes. God says, I will save you. I will save, excuse me, I will save those who love me and will protect those who acknowledge me as Lord. When they call on me, I will answer them. When they are in trouble, I will be with them. I will rescue them. I will honor them. I will reward them with long life. I will save them. I prayed this prayer every day before I got in my vehicle. The reason this little Bible looks so battered is because it sat right here in my pocket every day I was in Iraq. Every day before I got in the vehicle, I prayed that prayer. Not only for the guys that were with me, but for my beautiful wife. The Lord is our protector. And we can take honor and hope in that forever. Um, before I tear up and make a gushy mess of myself, I am going to lead us in prayer now. Dear Lord, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for your protection, your covering, your wings. Thank you for the hope and the promise you give us, that when we call, you answer. Lord, we ask that you please protect not only the bodies, but the minds of those stationed all over the world, those stationed within our home, within our borders. Lord, we ask that you be with them, you protect them, and you show them what you are all about and that we have a mighty, mighty God. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. How do you transition from that? <laughs>
you could almost call it a day, huh? But we're not done, and uh, I think I'm just going to stay down here today. But before we jump into our text this morning, let's do a review. It's been a couple weeks since we were in First Thessalonians, so let's do a quick review from a couple weeks ago, and the and uh, our time then. We can trust God with our yeses. We can trust God with our noes. And we saw that in Paul's life in our verses that time, his, his raw emotions where he was struggling with maybe some anxiety about his feelings and his thoughts for missing his church that he planted was only there for a short time, wondering how they were doing. Are they going to be okay? He didn't get to be there and shepherd and disciple them as long as he'd hoped and wanted. Uh, in fact, these were bothering him so much so that he was willing to send Timothy, his ministry partner, somebody who he needed, somebody he valued to walk beside him where they were going to go in Berea and Corinth and, and beyond. He sent him to check on him. And we see where Paul prayed very earnestly for them, night and day. You see, Paul was a man of prayer. You can see that through all the books in the New Testament, over and over and over, that he was a man of prayer. It's almost like that was his default. Uh, You know how our computer will automatically go into screensaver mode or your phone does or whatever. It's like for Paul, it's like if things kind of went blank and started going still for a little bit, he was praying. You know, may that be true of us, that our default or our screensaver is prayer. You know, it's like, well, what do I do now? I kind of have this window of five minutes of the stoplight of waiting for whatever. Well, maybe not so much up here down in northwest Arkansas. That was true. But, uh, you know, pray. You know, pray. Let that be your default. Lord, what can I pray about? Can I just praise you for a minute? Can I? Let that be our default like it was for Paul. And see, Paul was also walking through the reality of learning to trust God with yeses and noes. And, and see, in this case... Uh, Paul prayed earnestly that he would see the Thessalonians again someday. And we don't know if he ever got to. We don't don't have record of that. And so it's very likely that in this situation, in this case, Paul prayed this prayer earnestly desiring to see them again, that God said, no. And that's okay. I've got them, and I've got you. And we see that throughout the letter, how God had them. He sustained them. He chose them. He sanctified them. The gospel rang forth, as we've seen in earlier chapters, from their lives, from their words, and their actions. So is God trustworthy for Paul in this case? And other cases throughout scriptures that we can see? Absolutely. Is that same God trustworthy for us? And we trust him with our yeses and our noes. Absolutely, every time. Last week, our text, or two weeks ago, our text ended with Paul's statement of how he was praying for that church very earnestly, night and day. And our our passage this week is part of that prayer. It's the first couple of verses, or sorry, the last couple of verses of the chapter, uh, verses 11 through 13. Chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 is our text this week. In fact, some believe that verses 12 and 13 are the key verses of this letter to the Thessalonians. So if you were just kind of anchor in and say, hey, what is the main theme of this 
letter to the Thessalonians, some would say that verses 12 and 13 are that. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, earlier in the week when Gary and Tony and I met, we, we began praying this for each one of us this week. And we've continued that prayer up through today and we will continue it beyond. And so, would you be willing to stand and read this with me? This prayer that Paul had for this church in Thessalonians, for in Thessalonica, and that we would also, we would also pray this for each other. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. You may be seated. My granddad, going back to his story, he had, he had many good qualities about them, several of which you heard within his story as acts of hero, heroism, would be the right way to say that, I suppose. Uh, his courage, his willingness to serve our country. Um, he was a hard worker. He was married to the same woman his whole life, my granny. And he loved pie. That's a good character trait, if you ask me. He loved pie. And there was many a squabble at the dinner table with him over whether or not I was going to get to eat my slice or he was going to take it. <laughs> However, my granddad was not as good for the vast majority of his life as how he expressed his love for those closest to him. Uh, no doubt you could look back into his childhood and see roots of that and how that began his time in the war and the post-traumatic stress and the nightmares and things that he experienced afterward all played into it. But yet, those closest to him loved him dearly, but also experienced pain as well. Physically and mentally, he was, he was strong. He was a successful boxer while he was in the Army Air Corps. In fact, he told me a story one time of how he was confronted by three would-be robbers with knives and he basically just told them they should leave or he was going to kill them and they did. And he had no weapon. Uh, that was kind of the intensity that he had. And even though he had that physical and mental strength, I believe that true strength comes from God, not ourselves. And when we allow God to drive our true strength in and through and from us, that we can then transform into being that tender and loving person to those around us. That our, our love for one another might increase and overflow and abound into other people. You see, the nature of God is love. We see that in 1 John 4. The nature of mankind, our flesh, look around, turn on the news. That's the evidence of the nature of mankind without God. And that's the easy way out. You see, our flesh will default to that. Quit spending time in the Word. 
Quit praying. Look at where your heart goes. Look at your choices. Look at your calendar. Look at your checking account. Look at the evidence and the fruit in your life from living that way. And see where our flesh will take us. But true strength is to humble ourselves before Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. To seek our satisfaction in Him, in Him alone. We do that by loving Him, first and foremost. And second, by loving others. Certainly laying our lives down for someone else is absolutely loving them. And Scripture tells us that in John fifteen thirteen. And so, granddad going and serving in the war and doing that was an act of love in many, many ways. Not every one of us will have that opportunity to put our lives on the line, to put ourselves in harm's way for somebody else. But if we did or we had the opportunity to do so, it does not mean that we are done. You see, loving one another is not a one-and-done transaction. It's ongoing. It's not yesterday I did it, and so today I'm going to take a break from it. We must increase in our love for one another, for everyone. We must overflow in our love from one another and everyone. I love that visual illustration of that word of overflowing. It's imagining God pouring into us and that overflowing to others. It's, it's like God's the water source and we have the opportunity to be the valve. We can stop the flow. He allows us to do that. We can stop the flow of his love through us to others or we can open it up. As we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in the word, we can open up that valve and thus begin to overflow and love others around us. It's being patient with each other. It's forgiving one another. It's putting others' needs above our own. So this morning, I'd like to dissect verse 12 a little bit more. By examining increasing, this increasing and overflowing love for one another. And then I'd like for us to look at the source of that love, which I've already hinted at. And then finish up with what that end result would look like. So, verse 12, kind of put your finger on that for a little bit. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. And Paul is praying here that the Lord would cause this for the Thessalonians as well as for us today. This doesn't only apply to them. It applies to us today and is relevant to us today. That we would increase and overflow in love for one another. What is love? We've explored this a few months ago, so I feel like it's appropriate to bring it up again because I've slept since then. You've slept since then. Uh, we're a forgetful creature oftentimes. Um, but 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, I think gives us our best definition in scripture of what that is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. 
even without coffee. Yikes. Got me on that one. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And while we don't have time to splice every single word here and drill down even more so, I do encourage you to do that on your own. I do want to draw your attention to the fact that many of these descriptive words in this definition, Paul's definition to the Corinthian church, of what love is and what it looks like in action has to do with forgiveness. Are you seeing that? It's not self-seeking. It's not arrogant. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Endures all things. Many, many of these things have to do with forgiveness. And see, when we are unwilling to forgive someone in our lives, our attention is on the wrong person. Our attention is on ourselves instead of on Christ. You see, it's like where Peter attempting to walk to Christ out on the water when he called him out of the boat. And when Peter took his eyes off of Christ, he began sinking and drowning. And that is us, taking our eyes off Christ and looking instead of how wronged we were and the injustice and the pain, not ignoring that what it is, not saying it's not important or should not be validated, but instead taking all of our focus off of the one who forgives and putting it instead on the issue at hand right in front of us, that wrong done to us. And so we drowned like Peter in those waves. And that could be bitterness. You see, God can administer justice far better than we can. Far better than we can. You see, we go against directly the great commandment that God gave us when we don't forgive. Because we can't love somebody else when we are not forgiving them. Well, Matt, how do I do that? It just, I just can't let go of it. Hey, I'm here to tell you forgiveness is a big deal. It is work. And it's an ongoing work. It's not, hey, I forgive them and it's done. That thing can sneak back up and hit you in the head, back of the head and you didn't even know it. And there it is again. And you're like, I thought I've already gone through this. Here it is again. God's forgiveness is such a big deal that in order for God to forgive us, he had to send his son to the cross to pay the ransom for our sin, our offenses against God. Forgiveness is a big deal. And so to blow it off and say that it shouldn't be, we're missing it. It is hard work. It's a process. And it does not always mean the relationship is restored. And that's a misunderstanding that we can have. It's like, hey, I forgive them, but I just can't imagine being around this person that hurt me in that way or hurt the person I love in that way or whatever the case may be. Forgiveness does not 
say anywhere in scripture that now you get to walk hand in hand with this person and sing kumbaya and move on. It's not saying that. It does not mean that trust can ever be reestablished. So if you think that that's when you've arrived at forgiveness, you're not necessarily accurate in that case. There are some offenses that are too deep to try to restore. There are some people that we may be working through the opportunity to forgiveness in the process of that, and they are not repentant. And that is not somebody that we need to start of a sudden just open up our hearts back to and open up our lives back to if they are unrepentant. That's foolishness on our part. And guys, I can speak from experience in this. There have been people that have committed heinous and horrible things to some of the people I love the most on this earth. And I have spent months and years in this process of working towards forgiving them. Don't you dare ask me to sit across the table from them, though. Not going to happen. But can I say that I forgive them? How do I know I have? When I can pray for them. is one huge step. When I can say, Lord Jesus, what they did was wrong and I'm going to trust you and your justice and your righteousness to take care of that. And Lord, I know that Jesus, you went to the cross for their sin as well as my sin. And just as you have forgiven me of my treachery and my sin on that cross, you can do the same for them should they choose to accept you and believe in you and follow you. So Lord, do that. I pray that for them. And when you can pray a prayer like that, then you are getting to that place of being able to do it. It's why Jesus tells Peter in the New Testament how many times should you forgive somebody 70 times 7? Because it's going to keep coming up. And you don't even realize it and you don't know it. Something can happen and all of a sudden you're right back in it. And it comes out of nowhere. And you go, Lord, I got to give it back to you. I got to trust you with this again. Help me. Thought it was past this. But you're there with me every step. And you, Lord, know all about how hard it is to forgive. So I can trust in you that you're going to walk through this with me as my empathetic Savior. God's part of love, back to that. Sorry for the forgiveness tangent there, but I just believe it's foundational to our ability to love one another. God's part of love, 1 John 4, this last part of verse 8 through 10 says this, God is love. God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
God is the very definition of love. It's in his nature, it's his DNA, it's his character. That is his part of love. He is it. He embodies it. He initiated it through sending his son to the cross. Our part in love, pour it on. Pour on the love. God tells us plainly in the great commandment to love him, to love others. In fact, later on in 1 John 4, 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar, or she's a liar, straight up. If we are not forgiving, and we say we love God, what are we? We're a liar. Ugh. Kind of makes you want to throw up in your mouth a little bit, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Well, John, are you being redundant here? He's like, no, it's that important. I'm going to say it again and again. In Galatians 5, Paul again here, Galatians 5, 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. That's why I keep coming back to this GC squared life. The great commandment of loving God and loving others and the great commission. The whole law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. <coughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. This source for our love, our ability to love one another, to increase in it, to abound in it, to overflow in it. Let's jump back to verse 11. God and Father and our Lord Jesus. God, omnipotent, all-powerful, and Father, loving and tender. See, God judges not as a brutal critic, but as a loving father. I came across that quote in studying for this, and I love it. I love it. Did anybody else need to hear that this morning? God judges not as a brutal critic, but as a loving father. And the image of dad delighting in his child and throwing him up in the air and catching him and playing with him. Is it hard to go there in your mind of thinking God loving us in that way? And then our Lord Jesus, and our Lord Jesus, specifically saying and in in equality. Jesus Christ being equal to God the Father and the triune Godhead. And God the Father working in perfect synchrony with Jesus Christ, the Son. God the Father initiating love by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, the atoning sacrifice, as we just read in 1 John 4, for our sins. Jump back to verse 12. Those two words, cause us. Cause us. You see, where he says, let me get back to my my passage, make sure I don't say it out of context. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you 
And may the Lord cause you or us to increase, overflow. You see, Paul's under no illusion to say, hey, y'all just need to pull up your bootstraps. You just need to work harder and try harder. He's under no illusion asking them to do this. He is saying, may God cause this to happen in your lives. Our part in this, opening up the valve, opening up the valve and abiding and delighting in him, surrendering to him daily, moment by moment, some days, choosing to find our satisfaction in him and him alone and nothing else, to cause us And then the end result, verse 13, the end result of our love overflowing for one another and everyone that our hearts be blameless in holiness. Think on that for a second. Blameless in holiness. And being able to say that in the confidence of his love flowing in and through us. Not out of pride or arrogance. That's not love. We read about that. But to say it in humility. (sighs) What peace. What rest. To be able to say that, to, to see that God is working that in us for that end goal, the end result, blameless and holiness. It's not finalized to our glorification in heaven, but it's in process while we're here. While we're here, the here and now, that's That's the sanctification part. The glorification part is when our bodies here are done, done, expired, and we get to go be with our Savior. Amen. And how does God cause this? Well, let's think back through the rest of this letter. What's been a constant thread woven throughout it? Affliction, suffering, life, Trials. Where do most of those occur? Most of those are centered around relationships, aren't they? Relationships with the loved one, spouse, family, friend, relationships at work, lack of relationships at work if you're not employed right now. (laughs) Most of these are centered around a relationship with somebody else, isn't it? And yet he is causing this to work through the trials, through the afflictions, through the suffering. Nothing is wasted. We're going to keep saying that around here. Nothing is wasted. God can redeem and use it all. That we would be blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And, last part of the verse, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. At the coming of our Lord Jesus, and what a sweet day that will be. 
Did you pick up on the bookends of this? You have God the Father and our Lord Jesus at the beginning. Omnipotent, all-powerful, loving, and tender. God the Father, our Lord Jesus, truth incarnate, love displayed on the cross. Cause us. They're the source of love and those responsible for sanctifying us, causing us to overflow and abounding in love for the sake of, for the purpose of glorifying God the Father and our Lord Jesus. He's at the beginning and he is at the end of everything, of creation, of time, of our lives, of our salvation, of us having the ability to love one another, to forgive one another. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Should we sing it again, Tina? <laughs> hmm. So what are some practical things that we can walk away with this morning? I think that we can find these throughout this letter to the Thessalonians. That's what I love about Scripture. It's all right there. You don't have to search and make up stuff and add stuff to it. It's all right there. You see, Paul prayed for them, as we should pray for each other. We see that in verse chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to keep seeing it throughout this letter. Paul prayed for them, as we should also pray for each other. It should be our default, our screensaver. He shared the gospel with them. And the gospel is our salvation. It is the opportunity for somebody to come to know Christ. And it's also something we need reminded of every day, those who have already surrendered our lives to him. Of his grace, his work, his love for us on the cross. You see, that keeps us in check on the forgiving part, doesn't it? Remembering how much he's forgiven us. Well, right? If, if we have caused one of the, tri- the Godhead to have to humble himself like what he has created, he chose to do this, we didn't cause it, but there's, there's a relationship here, follow me. To go to the cross and die separating himself from perfect eternal fellowship with God from eternity past up to this moment. Taking on all of his wrath that we deserve. Because we're the idiots down here making the bad choices and messing it up. The idiots he loves. And then defeating death and rising again. And who am I to hold an offense over something somebody did to me or somebody I love? How petty is that? Are there real hurts to be validated, to walk through, sometimes with professional counseling, sometimes with brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be done in saying this. I'm just saying, here's perspective in eternity. 
See, Paul also shared his lives with them as we should share our lives with each other. Chapter 2, verse 8. Are we sharing our lives with each other? Are we hanging out with each other? Are we inviting each other over for dinner? Are we in a small group with each other? When we hear of a need in the body, are we, are we jumping in and helping? Not just decorating day. That's a great time to do it. But when somebody in our body needs help with their yard and it's overwhelming them, are we there? Or if we're not physically able to do it, we're letting others know who can we had a work day here just a couple weeks ago that I heard about that several of our men went and worked at a house. Somebody in our community had a great time of fellowship. In fact, the feedback that I heard, I wasn't able to be there myself, but the feedback I heard from it, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, was we need to do more of this. Because it's a blessing to love each other in that way. Paul also encouraged them through the letter with his words. It's throughout the letter as we should encourage each other. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Shoot a quick text. What did that take? 10 seconds of your life? You're on my heart. You're on my mind. God's got you. Send. You know how much that can mean? to somebody there was also the tangible presence Paul sent Timothy we talked about that in sharing our lives not in this letter but in another book that Paul penned another letter that Paul penned to the church in Ephesus Ephesians 4.32 we should forgive each other be kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another just as Christ has done for us Why? What is the purpose? It's for God's glory. In His alone. See, my wife and I fostered and adopted and trained for a while, and we'd often have couples come talk to us and say, hey, we're thinking about this, and we're wondering about getting into it. And One of the things that we always try to say every single time is, you must go into this and do this for Christ and Him alone. If you're going into it to save and rescue the kids, you're going to fail. And it's going to wreck you. If you go into it because you have this empty nest syndrome or feeling or whatever and you're wanting a kid, forget about it. It will wreck you. If you go into it to serve Christ, that is the only way. And that's how we can love each other to serve Christ. Not so, hey, you can scratch my back later. But to serve Christ. To finish up my granddad's story as we close. His trial and affliction with cancer at the end of his life brought him to his knees before our Savior Though still imperfect, he was much humbler. And there was some reconciliation that was able to be 
achieved with family members in his last weeks and days. See, God chose him and he responded. He surrendered, he surrendered to Christ. It's never too late. He was mid-70s, I believe, when he passed. And so if somebody who I, as a child, prayed for for many years, uh, my dad, my mom, my sister, other family members prayed for him for years and years and years. And someday... I'll get to see him again. So, don't give up on praying for somebody in their salvation. Don't give up on being that witness to them. Don't give up on loving each other. God and our Lord Jesus are the bookends. He's the beginning and the end. He is the source of the love. He will fill us up with it. And then we can overflow out onto each other. And as this passage says, to everyone. And by that I interpret it as well beyond the walls of this building. Pray with me. Father, may that be so. May that be so. Lord, cause that to happen in our lives that your love would overflow and abound and increase more and more for each other and for everyone. And God, I, I ask a little recklessly that it would, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, so that, Lord, we might, on that glorious day, when you return for your church or our bodies expire here that we might be holy and blameless before you and have a crown full of jewels from loving you and loving others to lay at your feet and worship and get to hear well done my good and faithful son, my good and faithful daughter. So Lord, as we leave this place, let us go as sent. Let us not leave without being changed. Your precious and holy name.